And by the time I'm at the last few verses, I'm just ready to move on. I approach a verse like this one, and I think, yeah, this is clear. Paul wants the Thessalonians to pray because that's what Christians should do. And I take away from it, I should just pray. And then I move on thinking, yeah, I've got all that stuff. But the reality is, these texts weren't written so that we would just gloss over them. When we approach this morning's text in Scripture that's like it, we really need to dive in and ask some questions in order to make sure that we understand what the text is really saying. Brothers, pray for us. A command to pray, that's clear. But I think that there are two questions we need to ask when trying to bring clarity to the aspects of this verse that just aren't so clear. To the parts that aren't explicitly stated in verse 25 alone. And the first question I think we need to ask is the why question. You know, why does Paul want the Thessalonians to go to God in prayer? That's question number one. And the second question I think we need to ask is the what question. The what of the why. What does Paul want the Thessalonians to pray for specifically? That's question number two. So we're going to start with that first one. Why does Paul want the Thessalonians to go to God in prayer? Because God is their help. God is our help. That's one of the reasons Paul wants them to pray. He's pointing them back to God and who he is. He's pointing the Thessalonians back to the fact that they're dependent on God because of who he is. You know, everything that they have received, their life change, all of their hope, it comes from God. And Paul, when asking them to pray, is asking them to acknowledge this. He's saying, show your devotion. Acknowledge your dependency. Acknowledge God as your help. And to, say, to take it a step further, uh, when Paul asks this, he's showing them that even as an apostle, he is dependent on God. God is Paul's help. We see Paul get a little more explicit with this idea in some of his other letters. Just to give one example, I want to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. If you want to turn there, I'll give you a moment. Again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So Paul is explicit here that he himself, even as an apostle, and by the way, all those who are in ministry with him, so all the other leaders of the church, no matter their status, they're all dependent on God. And really, Paul is just repeating what Jesus has already said in John chapter 15. I'll go ahead and read it. No need to turn there. Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is very clear here that apart from him, we can do nothing. And Paul is pretty clear that he understands that. He knows that means the same thing for him as it does for us. God is our help. We are all dependent on God. This is an important thing to understand when trying to answer this, you know, why question. But I think there's another 
really important thing for us to understand when trying to answer the why. Why does Paul want the Thessalonians uh, to go to God in prayer? He's asking the Thessalonians to pray on his behalf. That's the reason he asks. And this is not the only time we see Paul ask for prayers to be made on his behalf. We also see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. We actually read it earlier in the service, but I just want to take a moment to read that last verse one more time. Verse 11, let's take a look. Paul says, You must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Paul has just been delivered from what he describes as a death sentence, right? He talks about the comfort he feels since he's been delivered from this circumstance and how thankful he is. So Paul goes to God in prayer. He's rejoicing. He's thankful for the comfort that he now feels. But then he gives a command to the Corinthians to help him out, to turn up the brightness on his prayers, if you will. You know, if Paul is going through a dark room with a candle as his prayers, he's asking the Corinthians to come in and shine a bright flashlight. He's just turning it up a notch. And so he asked the Corinthians to pray on his behalf, to give thanks and to rejoice. And he asked the Thessalonians to pray on his behalf. But there's a difference, right? I mean, Paul is clear about what he wants the Corinthians to pray for. But he's not so clear about what he wants the Thessalonians to pray for. At least, not in verse 25 alone. Which brings us back to that second question. What does Paul want the Thessalonians to pray for specifically? To answer this question, we have to understand the relationship between Paul and the Thessalonians. For us, as we approach this text, we see brothers pray for us, and we have to ask the question, you know, what does Paul mean? What does he want them to pray for? But when the Thessalonians receive this command, they don't have to ask this question. They know what Paul means. But how? How do they know? Well, what has Paul already told them? Throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians, we see a, a few places where Paul tells the Thessalonians what he's been going through. He gives them a little bit of insight into what his life looks like. He's really uh, continuing his relationship with the Thessalonians. And I know we've been going through this book, so this might just be a refresher for you, but I want to take a look at a few verses that give an account of what Paul has been experiencing during his ministry. First verse I want to look at is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. If you want to turn there, it's just three chapters before. Paul says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So Paul is letting them know he's been suffering, he's received shameful treatment, he's in conflict all for preaching the gospel. We see Paul say almost the exact same thing later in the book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says, For this reason, brothers, 
In all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. We've suffered. We've been shamefully treated. We've been in distress. I've been afflicted. Paul is telling them that he has been experiencing persecution for preaching the gospel. I think we get another great glimpse into their relationship in verse 8 of chapter 2. Paul says, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. When Paul was planning the church at Thessalonica, he shared himself. Shared stories. Let them get to know him. And in his first letter to them, he's just continuing that relationship. The Thessalonians know Paul, and because they know Paul, they know what to pray for. I think that verse 25, within the context of the entire book, is sufficient for answering that what question. You know, what does Paul want them to pray for? But for us, we have the whole Bible, you know? We have all of Paul's letters. And so I think it's helpful just to take a look at some of the other places that Paul asks for prayer. But he's just a little bit more explicit in his prayer requests, if you will. So we're just going to take a look at a couple places. This first passage is going to be in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, finally, brothers, pray for us. So I just want to make sure that you guys see that. It's the same language. It's the same command as, as in verse 25. Brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as has happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. That's the first passage. The second passage is uh, in Colossians 4.3. Here Paul is writing to the church at Colossae and he says, at the same time, pray also for us. So same thing here, similar language, same command. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So, and you guys may have already seen it in, in these two texts, but I think that there's two things that Paul is asking for here. Between these two passages, there's two things. The first thing that Paul is asking for is for the ministry of the word. Paul wants the gospel, the word of God, to be preached. So let's take a closer look. In that first passage, Paul says, Brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as has happened among you. Paul wants the word of the Lord to go out into the nations. He wants the gospel to be preached. We see that in the second passage, uh, Colossians 4.3, that God may open a door for the word. He wants the word to be proclaimed. But I like how in 2 Thessalonians, you know, he takes it a step further. He gets even more specific. And he says, I want the gospel to be preached but I also want it to change the lives of all those who hear it, as has happened with you, right? That's where I'm getting that from. The Thessalonians heard the gospel, and they experienced true life change. They experienced a true conversion. 
They're no longer who they once were. They're not walking away from God. They're walking with God. They have hope. All because of the gospel. So that's the first thing. Paul is asking them to pray for the gospel to be preached and for it to change lives. He's praying for the ministry of the word. The second thing that Paul is asking them to pray for, or rather pray against, is persecution. Persecution as it relates to the ministry of the word. We see this on the second half of both of these passages. In the Second Thessalonians text, Paul says, And pray that we would be delivered from wicked and evil men. That's pretty obvious, right? He's talking about persecution. He wants to be delivered from these people who are creating an obstacle for the preaching of the word. In Colossians 4.3, Paul says that he's in prison for preaching. And he's only in prison because there are people who don't want the gospel to be preached. They want to hinder the gospel. So they torture, imprison, and persecute Christians. There's a great book. It's called Can We Trust the Gospels? It's a historical argument for the accuracy and validity of the gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. While that's its focus, at one point in the book, the author, Peter J. Williams, references a letter written by Pliny the Younger. Around 111 AD, Pliny was a governor in the northwest region of Turkey. And in his letter to his boss, to his higher-ups, he gives an account of his experience while persecuting Christians. He talks a lot about the way that they behaved, you know, the way that they functioned as a church. And then he talks about some Christians who he persecuted who later renounced their faith. He goes through their testimonies and he's comparing them, trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. He's trying to figure out what turns people away from Christ. How can I stop people from going back to the gospel? He's just thinking, what can I do to abolish Christianity. What's my formula? Maybe if I examine the people who have done it, I can figure something out. He writes, it seems possible, however, to check and correct this. He's talking about Christianity and the practices of the church. To check and correct this. It is certain, at least, that the temples, which had almost become deserted, are now beginning to be visited again. And the sacred rites after a long interlude, are again being revived. There's a general demand for sacrificial animals, for which up to now only rarely were purchasers found. From this, it is easy to imagine that a multitude of people may be reclaimed from this error. Again, he's talking about Christianity. Of people that may be reclaimed from this error, if a door is left open for them to change their minds. So he's saying... They're going back to the pagan religions. They're going back to all these other practices that aren't Christianity. And I don't care, as long as it's not Christianity. That's all that I care about. So it's clear from this letter that Pliny and all those who persecute the church only want one thing. They want Christianity to be abolished. 
This is why Paul sees persecution as just an obstacle for preaching the word. It's why his persecution and his preaching are always connected. It's why he asked the Thessalonians to pray for the ministry of the word and an end to persecution. I have a few points of application for us, you know, things that we can take away from everything that we've just talked about. The first point of application is this. Pray on behalf of others. This is why a lot of times you'll hear us talk about doing life together, you know, being involved in the church community, or maybe you've heard Will, Grant, or Sean talk about meaningful church membership. We talk about these things and place so much emphasis on these things in part because this kind of stuff creates opportunities for us to pray for one another. To go to God on behalf of our brothers and sisters, lift them up in prayer and care for them. We know how to pray for them when we get to know them. When we hang around after church and strike up a conversation or when we invite people into our homes for dinner just to hang out, play a board game or something. That kind of stuff is just connected. It all contributes to how we approach praying on behalf of others. When we know each other, we know what to pray for. Just like with the Thessalonians and Paul. This is something that I think this church does particularly well. So I just want to offer you some encouragement in that. I mean, you guys care for one another. You know one another, and you pray on behalf of one another. I know this because I've experienced it in just the short amount of time that I've been here. I get like two to three texts a week from people telling me that they prayed for me that morning. The church has a prayer guide, and if you're not a member here and you don't know what that is, it's uh, what most churches would probably call a church directory. It's got, you know, the names of every church member. It's got their addresses, their phone number. But we call it a prayer guide because that's what it's supposed to be used for. And that's what you guys use it for. Not just to get people's addresses so you can send out thank you notes or Christmas cards, which I don't even know if anybody really sends out Christmas cards anymore with Facebook and all that, but you get my point. You use it to pray for and on behalf of the members of this church. So that's application point number one. Pray on behalf of other believers or continue praying on behalf of other believers. Application number two. Pray for the ministry of the word. Here at 6th Avenue, one of the ways we try to do this is through our pastoral prayers and our prayer of petition. We always have at least one of those in the service. And that's because we're commanded to pray for the ministry of the word. And we take that seriously. Sometimes we pray for churches and missionaries who are overseas, you know, across the world. Other times we pray for churches and pastors who are just a few states away. But a lot of times, we pray for churches and pastors that are really close by. You know, there are stones throw away from our building, or they're in Huntsville or one of the other surrounding areas. 
The point is, we pray for the word to work in all of those places. We do this every week. But what about for you? What about when you leave here on Sunday morning? Do you make a priority of praying for the ministry of the word? One easy way that I think we can put this into practice is by praying for other churches as we drive by them. You know, we're in the Bible Belt. We're in the South. I think I passed, actually counted, I passed one billion churches on my way to church this morning. That's probably not accurate, but it's close. You get it. We have churches all over, and there are churches who need prayer. So maybe when you drive by a church, maybe you know it's a healthy church. Maybe you have friends or family that goes there, and you hear great things about it. Pray for the ministry of the word. Pray that the word would continue to work in that church, that it would continue to change the lives of the congregation there, that it would change the lives of the pastors and the leaders there, that they would make that the focus, that it would be a priority for them. And if you drive by a church and maybe you know it's an unhealthy church, Same thing. Pray for the ministry of the word. Pray that it would change the church. That it would change the lives of all those who attend. That it would change the lives of the members there. That the leadership would make it a priority. So pray for the ministry of the word. It's application point number two. Application number three. Pray for missionaries and churches who are suffering from persecution. Brothers and sisters, I know that we live in a place where we don't experience persecution often or at all. Because of that, it's easy for us to forget about those who do. But it's happening. All over the world, it's happening. To give you just one example, I recently read an article uh, describing the attack of two Christian worship services in central India. What had happened was there was a mob of almost 100 radical nationalists who stormed one Christian worship service, you know, started tearing down their gathering place, They started beating the church members there. And then when one of the brave church members got away and called the police, you know, hoping that they would come and fix the problem, the police showed up and started arresting the Christians. Which gave opportunity for the same mob to attack another Christian worship service just three miles away. And as you can imagine, the same thing happened there. They tore down their gathering place, they started beating them, the cops were called, and then more Christians were arrested. Because they were Christians. I could spend a long time sharing stories just like this one. Because there are Christians everywhere who are being persecuted, and even if we don't see them, they need our prayer. 
There's another thing we try to do during our pastoral prayer or prayers of petition. You know, we include the persecuted church. However, I think an easy way to put this in practice outside of Sunday morning is maybe just sign up for a newsletter. You know, for missionaries or missionary organizations, if you go to an event and a missionary is speaking, go up to him afterwards. These people have newsletters that they use to keep people updated on everything that's going on. They send uh, everything that's happening, the good and the bad. And then they tell you how you can be praying for them or supporting them. Same thing with uh, missionary organizations. In fact, persecution.org is the one that I'm signed up for. It's the one that I got that story that I just read to y'all. And these places, they make it so easy. They send an email that goes to your phone. You get a notification. You can click on it. It takes two minutes to read. And then you can pray for them right then and there. They make it as easy as possible. So I would encourage you to sign up for one. But if you do sign up for one, actually read it and actually pray for them. Imagine if they were standing in front of you. What would they say? They would say the same thing that Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. Brothers, sisters, pray for us. Lastly, I think we need to remember why the persecuted church is willing and able to go through everything that they're experiencing. And that's because of Christ. Our sin is so great and it's so heavy that according to God, we deserve eternal suffering, not just worldly suffering. But God, being rich in mercy, grace, and love, he sends Christ to take our place and pay the debt that we can't afford. Christ came, he died. Three days later, he rose again, taking away eternal suffering for all of those who believe. That is the only reason why people like Paul make it through. It is the only reason why missionaries and Christians who experience persecution make it through. It's because they cling to their only hope. They cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should too. Before I pray and close this out, I just want to mention that after I pray, Brother Will is going to come up and he's going to lead us in a prayer of petition. This is going to be an opportunity for us to put into practice everything that we just talked about. We're going to pray for the ministry of the word. We're going to pray for missionaries and churches who are experiencing persecution. We're going to go to God on behalf 
of other Christians and we're going to pray for them. And I just want to remind us that though Will is the one leading us in the prayer and he's the one speaking, we are following along with Will's prayer and we are actively agreeing and saying amen. We are praying together. This is part of our corporate worship. I know with these long prayers, it's really easy to doze off mentally or lose sight of what we're doing. But I want to encourage you that this is the time. This is the time to go to God in prayer and pray for everything that we just talked about. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that it provides by your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would leave here and we would cling to that promise. I pray this in your name. Amen. And to treasure it. Like the psalmist who said, Your word is sweeter than honey and more valuable than much fine gold. Cause us to always be speaking your word to one another and to the community around us. Let it permeate our lives so that it's always on our mind and always in our conversations. Make us a people of the word so that we might be more like Jesus. Father, we also pray that this local body would be resilient against persecution. We praise you for giving us peace so we've been regularly able to worship you freely. And we ask you would allow us to continue worshiping you freely, without interference. But Father, we also know that peace isn't promised this side of heaven. And we know that there are many people who want to snuff out this gospel. Their hearts are against you. They are hostile towards you. And so it's no surprise. Let it not be a surprise to us when persecution increases. Not if, but when it does, Lord, may we stay faithful. Help us to persevere and to count it a blessing to be considered worthy to suffer for your name. Likewise, Father, we pray that biblical gospel-preaching churches in our area would hold fast to the gospel that they have received. We think of churches like First Bible 
Mosaic, Point Mallard Parkway Baptist Church, may they resist deceitful and underhanded methods for teaching and preaching the gospel. Help them to trust in the sufficiency of Scripture. It is sufficient for rescuing the lost and for feeding the sheep. We do not have anything else to give your people. Protect them from the temptation to trust in growth programs and all the various wisdoms of this world. Cause them not to fear man, but to instead hunger for the words that will only come from your mouth when we stand before you in judgment. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We also pray that Bible-preaching churches in our area would resist the flaming darts of the enemies, and that no matter what suffering and persecution they might endure, may they continue to strive for the crown of eternal life. Father, we also want to remember our brothers and sisters around the world who are in the midst of serious persecution right now. We pray for those in India that Luke just mentioned. You see their suffering. You see the injustice of their government. You know the people by name who are sitting in jail for the crime of loving and worshiping Jesus. Father, would you give them a peace that surpasses all understanding? Would you please remind them that their present sufferings are not worth being compared to the glory that is to come? Help them to wait and to trust in you because you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And you will not leave them in their distress. You are coming for them. Would you comfort them? We also pray for parachurch organizations that come alongside the church and devote themselves to global missions and to really useful newsletters. We pray that Wycliffe Bible translators would continue to have success as they put the Bible into the hands of people who otherwise wouldn't have access to it. People who get to read your word for the first time. We look forward to the day when we will rejoice in heaven with the thousands of people who came to Christ because of this ministry. We ask that you would continue to bless the labors of organizations like persecution.org and the Joshua Project. Father, we lament that their work is even necessary but we thank you for the brothers and sisters who nonetheless put in endless time and resources to reporting on the persecuted church so that we can know what is happening, so we can be informed and pray on their behalf. Would you please give strength to these men and women who produce these resources and help them to see the fruits of their labor. Help them to see that what they are doing matters. Help them to see that churches are using these resources to pray for the persecuted church. Holy God, we pray also for authorities all around the world that they would fear you and give you glory. You hold the scepter over all the universe. There is nothing outside of your jurisdiction. So would you cause their consciences to bear witness to this reality? 
that they might be a king, but that you are the king of kings. And may it cause them to rule justly, knowing that you see them and you will judge them according to their work. The fear of the Lord then give them wisdom to do what is right. And would you soften their hearts and cause them to be compassionate towards your word and towards the people of your word so that Christians the world over might be able to worship you without fear of persecution. Coming back to our local body, Father, we praise you for providing for our every need according to your riches in heaven. You have performed miracle after miracle for the finances of our body. Thank you. And Father, we just want to ask you to do more. Would you stir our hearts to be even more generous towards this ministry, especially towards our main preaching pastor? Let our church be characterized by a love for your word that shows itself outwardly. And may we give double honor towards the one who labors day in and day out for the preaching and the teaching of your word. And would you help us to carry out that practice for generation after generation, that the gospel would be preserved by godly men who love your word and who preach it well. Finally, we pray for the members of this church. We thank you for Luke Hill. We thank you for the time that he is devoting towards sitting under sound instruction. And we ask that it would pay massive dividends for your kingdom over decades. Bless the season of study and of listening. We thank you for every single mother in this room. These women who are bringing up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bless their gospel labors as they embody the truths of the Bible through all the wonderfully unique ways that only a mother can. And we pray that the children of this church would cherish that, that they would see the gospel in the lives of their mom, and that they would love that gospel. And we thank you for the many regular visitors in this church. We pray that you would build up their faith through your word. And we ask, Father, that you would bring many more of your sheep that they would hear your voice calling to them through this ministry, that they would join this church, that they would be sanctified. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who hears us and listens to us while we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.